Hey, this is Mark. Just a quick little note. Uh, the beginning of the show is a little staticky. The first few seconds as I'm introducing myself and today's guest, Robert Pimpser, the founder of Pinstripe Prospects. But that goes away very quickly. So just please bear with it and you'll have a nice, clear, concise episode with Mr. Pimpser. Fascinating man to talk to and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. We're good Perfect. now. We're good. All right. Welcome to the Ballpark Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fiquez, regional correspondent for the website Stadium Journey, the leader in ballpark reviews. With me today is the founder of the website Pinstripe Prospects, Robert M. Pinser. Robert, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Great. Now, most of you who are listening to this uh, do not realize that we did this two weeks ago, and I hit failed to hit record on uh the zoom so that just wiped out a really great conversation and uh robert was nice enough to say hey let's do this again so here we are doing take two not the first time this happened with ed rivera uh one time talking about uh minor league baseball logos so you know those those are the the tricks of the trade you make some errors and you just got to do them over again so uh we had a great conversation last time and i think we're going to have an even better one this time. So, Robert, you told me you got started very young creating websites uh, for your favorite team, the Staten Island Yankees. Can you explain how that process went? Yeah, around uh, 2002. I was you know 12 or 13 years old at the time, uh, and I was fooling around websites. This was the GeoCities era of websites, so it uh, wasn't that complicated, but I was learning HTML, learning all the tricks in his trade and befriended two players who at the time, uh, at the time there was really nothing online about minor league baseball. It's a completely different world now than it was back it then. Yeah. And uh, they were asking me for a way to keep their family up to date. And that's how I came up with the idea of starting my first website. And I ran that website until 2009 worked for uh, Gotham sports media, Gotham baseball. And uh, at the time, baseballdigest.com covering the Yankee system. And uh, when I thought I was going to be out, I, I came back in and decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this on my own and start started Pinstripe Prospects. And then once you started the Pinstripe Prospects, it took on a life of its own. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, they cover the minor league uh, aspects, all four clubs of the New York Yankees from Scranton, Wilkes-Barre down to the Tampa Yankees. And you're not involved with it anymore, correct? Yeah, or I mean, my involvement has really scaled limited. back. Um, pretty much it's only just managing server because I'm the owner of the server. So that's all it is. It's just that everything else, the writers, they do it all their, on their own. I don't have really any input, input, and they do it on their own. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's that's kind of how it is with the website that I write for, Stadium Journey. It was co-founded by four men. Uh, Paul Sweeney was the one who sort of took it to that next level when he became sole owner. And then, you know, he came to a decision where, you know, he had to let it go and give it to somebody else to carry on. So there's four people that run it. So it's like your creation, your baby. And do you get, I mean, do you still like the fact that you have, you know, do you want to be involved in it or do you like the fact that, Hey, it's still running. It's my legacy on the internet. You know, I would love to be more involved, but just with everything going on in yeah. my life, I do not have the time to exactly. be able to do it. And yeah. 
it sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I get it. I'd love to do podcasts and stadium journey reviews for a living. You know, that'd be great. I would love to have a pension plan, 401k plan, you know, retirement benefits. It's just, it's just not the case. We do this for love. And like you said, you start off at a very young age, but you know, when you get to a certain age, you have to start making money, especially living out in Staten Island. So what, what are you doing right now that's taking you away from the website? So I had decided that I was going to return to school to uh, pursue a childhood passion of mine, in, which is engineering. Nice. And something I've always loved and wanted to do and, and sort of put on the back burner when I tried to pursue this whole thing in, in baseball and, and running websites and stuff like that. So I decided I'm doing that. In the meantime, I am working for a tech company in marketing communications. And many people don't realize that, but my day job has been in marketing communications for you know over the, the last dozen years. And it's really where I've cut my teeth and became successful in. Yeah. And it probably pays the bills, correct? Oh, extremely well. Yeah. More than it would in baseball. Yeah. And, you know, as we kind of steer away from your website, you know, just talking about baseball, you, you hit the, you hit a good point there because when I was out of college, I wanted to work for a baseball team. And I remember the Portland, not the Sea Dogs, the Eastern League. I don't know if they're still set up in Portland, Maine, uh, but that was their headquarters. And here I am out of college. 24 years old and I'm being offered an internship, not, not a full-time job, but an internship with the promise that it can lead to a job the following year. And I think I was getting offered about 800 to $900 a month to live in Portland, Maine. And I'm like, dang, is this is, you know, I'm like, is this how minor league baseball is going to be? And then I saw just hundreds of people lining up to get some kind of job at the uh, winter meetings in Boston that year. Uh, you know, taking jobs that didn't pay, taking jobs that offered $400 a month, taking jobs that offered free housing. And I'm like, man, did I, is this how it's going to be with all the teams? And you had told me that Stan Island, the new Stan Island Ferry Hawks club, you were looking to maybe work for them, but it didn't work out. What, what can you tell us about that? Uh, not much. It's just, you <laughs> know, when much. it comes down to it, it comes down to <laughs> money. It comes down to- it comes down to money more than anything else. Uh, I'm at the point where uh, I'm not a kid out of college. I can't work yeah. for what those kids out of colleges work for. I've over the over the course of my career, I've won uh, 50 plus awards in marketing communications. I'm at a certain level, and uh, you know, I can't you know take a job that is pretty much 40 percent of what other job offers are mm-hmm. for me, and. Uh, and that's what the number came out to. It was like, if I were to work for them, it would be 40% of what I would be making elsewhere. And I can't do that. Yeah. And, um, you know, New York is an expensive city to live in. So it needs to be a certain minimum for me to be able just to survive. And, you know, working in baseball is a grind. It is not nine to five. No. And uh, if I'm going to be working crazy hours, working more like 60, 70 hours a week, it needs to really meet that minimum pay threshold for me. And unfortunately, sports and I believe fashion is another industry like this as well, where they really take advantage of having so many people wanting to do anything they do to get into it and that they artificially lower the 
the income. And this is just across the board, industry-wide, not any specific team. And uh, no, it, it's no. sad. And this is not just minor league baseball. This is all baseball in general. You'll see so many jobs that are still offering you know, 30K a year out of college when in reality – 30k a year would have been starting salary in 1990 and if you would took th- the wow. equivalent of thir- 1990 30k a year is the equivalent of over 50k a year today so it's completely different world and these teams are taking advantage of a lot of people that just don't want to pay what a traditional actual market rate would be and unfortunately there's a lot of people that are willing to pay uh, and and take that low pay yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I wanted to work, you know, and I remember I, I wound up taking a job with a soccer team in Cincinnati. I was getting paid $300 a week. Thankfully, I had I was renting on a room for about $120 a month in Cincinnati. It was one room. And I also had to do two hours of cleanup work around this this guy's house. I should I should write a story about my time doing that. I was uh, it was like Charles in charge without Nicole <laughs> Eggert. You know, it's like dang. So anyway, yeah, three hundred dollars a week. I remember my mom was just like, like really, Mark. This is what you went to college for, you know. Uh, and then I remember I looked into I looked into the Nashville Sounds, and they were going to offer me a PR gig, but it was going to be free room and board, not not any pay. And it's like, well, it's an intern, and the hope is that, you know, by next year you'll work on with another team. And you're right. Those Theo Epstein stories are great. But, I mean, what's the percentage of that happening to everybody yeah. who gets and, and into – not only that, you know, it really limits who can uh, can work for you. You know, one thing I've learned in – especially in marketing communications for the last, you know, dozen years of my life is that diversity of thought. And diversity of experience is extremely important when it comes to being creative and being able to make the most with with little. And when you're paying that low, there's a whole lot of people that just can't afford no. to work for you. And you're limiting yourself and you're limiting your ability and you're limiting your ability for growth. And I think that's the, one of the biggest problems with with sports is they want to be on the cutting edge, but they can't afford to be on the cutting edge because they just don't want to open up their their pocketbooks to pay for people that get them on the cutting edge. You know, we, we see a lot of people want to be, you know, the next Savannah Bananas, but, you know, you got to, you know, you got to have creative people and creative people, especially up here in New York, are not cheap. You know, a creative person in New York can easily get a six figure deal. Uh, six-figure income and you need to be able to compete with that yeah no you're absolutely right because you know if you, it, it, you know i'm looking at it if you're somebody who's out of college or just about to graduate and you live nearby a minor league team and you're it's okay for you to travel because you're about 15 minutes away from the ballpark you don't have to pay rent you, know, you can live at home with mom but you know if somebody offers you a job hundreds of miles away you have to live there there's no way you can afford to uh to do that and yeah it's i think that that's still going on i hate to think that right now there's somebody who just graduated college with a sports management degree which kind of 50 50 on i i think it's sort of like a waste to be a sports management major at a college uh, 
I could be wrong. I would be more than happy to take anybody on the show that comes from a college or graduated or who's a professor uh, that could tell me otherwise. Well, I have a sports management degree. And oh. I can tell you it is oh. <laughs> not too. useful at all. <laughs> um, okay. Wow. That was a quick come... response. Where, where did you get yeah. yours from? St. John's University. Okay. St. So, yeah, I got mine from Indiana State University. And I mean, I, I could have graduated with any kind of degree and, and did had the journey I had. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, same here. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you have a lot of these schools that are charging exorbitant amounts for these degrees and they're going into jobs where they're essentially first year salary is going to be less than what they paid for their, their yeah. last year their degree. It's, it's unsustainable and you just limit yourself with who could take it. You end up with only one viewpoint Yes, and yeah, it, it hurts you in the long run. And we've kind of seen that with uh, the lack of, creative marketing creative communications from a lot of places recently yeah and you know my mom told me she's like when you go to college you make sure there's a job waiting for you and she always she always said teaching there's always going to be a job waiting for you and uh, that was 20 years ago i graduated and there's a lot of teaching jobs right now i mean i'm a teacher special education and uh you know the school i work at we need some uh teachers there's other states so Sports management, I, I don't know if there's jobs waiting for you. And the only time I really felt creative with my sports management degree, I was working uh, for a, a roller hockey team called the New Jersey Bullets. And we had a logo that looked like a, you know, like a giant dildo, let's just say that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if this is the route we're going, let's just sell it. And you know, the the, uh, the rink was a few miles away from me. I was living at home at the time. I was talking to local businesses. They were on board to do some marketing. And, you know, I felt very energized and creative. But, man, I wasn't making any money. Maybe I'd taken 20 bucks a game. I mean, that's how low it was. And nothing against the team. They weren't making any money. You know, they were just trying to survive themselves. But, you know, that would have been nice to do like as a hobby on, as a side gig, that would have been nice to do if, if I didn't need any money to live, but that's not reality. So, yeah, uh, and, and exactly. Like I worked in sports for, you know, a long while as a hobby, as a side gig, as mm-hmm. something that was additional income to my full-time job. And yeah, it was fine like that. But right now I knew when I decided to go back to school and get this degree that it was going to be work, school, and free time, the little free time I had, I didn't have time to do work, school, baseball, etc. So unless I was working in baseball, it it was done for me. Uh, and and by that I mean I had to be working full time. It couldn't be just like twenty bucks a game or fifty bucks a game, whatever. It had to be a full time where it covered my bills and uh, just wasn't in the cards for me. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I have yeah. a great job and I, I'm loving where I work now. Oh, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I make $50 an hour uh, assisting students after school on occasion. An hour, you know, not a game, not, not four hours, an hour. So, yeah, I'm okay too. I, I have my summers off. I can still travel to games. I, I still you know, podcast. I write about it. Uh, there's other individuals out there who still do it as a hobby. 
you know, like my brother, he's in a, a rock band. He's in an Iron Maiden tribute band. You know, he's <laughs> making some money. He just signed, actually signed a record deal to sell albums in Europe. I don't know how much money he gets out of that, but he's part of a band. Yeah, we're not getting famous or rich, but we're enjoying our lives. With yeah, a little I mean, bit of that's sports. All you can do. That's all you can do. And that's fine. You know, my 20 years ago, I thought I was going to be working for the New York Mets or San Diego Padres or somebody doing big things. I'm not, but I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I'm doing. You know, would I like to travel to more ballparks? Yes. But I would probably have to be single, living in an apartment and, you know, not uh, not having to, uh, you know, still being, a, a, you know, being like Zach Campbell, you know, just traveling to different ballparks and, and, and enjoying life. I still get to do that. So it's, you know, you, you have to kind of balance the two. So uh, I know you're from Staten Island. And I think the first time uh, and we're transitioned to another topic. Uh, the first time we had a conversation, we uh, were talking about the uh, Staten Island Yankees and the Pizza Rats and how the team left. Uh, but now they have the Ferry Hawks, and I know you haven't been to a game. But how do you like how do you like the pulse of what that organization is doing right now in the borough? Yeah, I will say they have the right people at the helm. Uh, Gary Perone, I've known for years, and there's no one I would trust more in uh, running that team and trying to make it successful. Him and I had a lot of the same ideas when it comes to not just making that team successful, but making that ballpark successful because there the ballpark needs to be at the forefront of people's minds um i think they've really nailed down that community aspect when i say that i mean in less than a year of them actually being around because it still hasn't been a year they've done more community relations than the set high yankees has did in 20 years wow that's huge (laughs) and that is not even an exaggeration um you know, modern, you know, baseball is going to come down to success. It's going to be community, communications, and uh, pricing. And right now, I think they definitely got the the community part down. Um, and I think they they're standard bearer in that in that regard. But uh, I, when people say, "Oh, they're not successful," yeah, I go first two seasons, first three seasons. We're always going to be show me years where they have to, you know, even though it was a completely different organization, completely different, you know, company, they still, there's still a lot of people that just view it as still the Senna Yankees or the same as the Senna Yankees. So this was always going to be a show me year where they have to build, um, you know, build goodwill with the community and, and everything. So, you know, give them, give them some time, let, let them build up. Yeah, they, uh, I, I don't, you know, uh, I'm not too critical of them right now because they've, they've had a tough time, especially coming on board with all the logistical issues. Uh, supply chain was a huge, huge thing that, uh, really hampered their ability to get, get up and running this year. And it's something that, you know, now that they got a year in, they, they can bet better manage effectively. Yeah. And, and that, that affected, a lot of teams. I was uh, mm-hmm. the, the supply chain. I was in Seguin, Texas, at a Texas Collegiate League game. White tops with just like a logo on the front and specked on numbers, iron on numbers. And one of the season ticket holders says, "Yeah, they didn't get their uniforms yet. And this was maybe their 
fifth game, sixth game of the season. And when they eventually did get it, oh my goodness, what a huge difference. So uh, what they actually did was take, they took shirts they were supposed to sell for profit and they put them on the players. So they had these kind of uh, weird looking jerseys for the first, uh, maybe the first few weeks of the season. So yeah, that's still affecting a lot of teams, you know, as, as early as you get your order in. Yeah, it's it's going to affect. It's going to be a continual issue over the next few years as the supply chain gets worked on. One of my uh, jobs over the last couple of years was working for um, executives that actually focus on supply chain data analytics, and I learned a a lot about it doing that. And it wasn't until I did that till I realized how stretched thin all supply chains are in the U.S. or, or around the world, just because. People just don't want to keep the stuff in stock. They just they want to minimize what they have in stock and, and uh, not have any backup plans. It was very stretched thin to where if one thing happened, like the pandemic, it just blew everything up because there was no uh, no protection in place. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future, especially when it comes to uh, promotions, you'll see start start seeing some minor league teams. Uh, embrace additive manufacturing you know 3d printing their own promotional items you know i think it's something wow. that 3D should be, should happen now and i have a friend of mine that owns a 3d printer printing company where he supplies you know printers but he already had talks with sports teams uh, not my only teams but sports teams in general about all right how can he 3d print bobbleheads at scale and and everything you know limit that supply chain you know when you have, when you're closer to your supply, it really means less issues can cause problems. You know, if uh, you know they're 3D printing their own promotional items, you don't have to wait for months for something to come over from overseas. You can start printing it and have it ready to go when you need it. Uh, you know, I never even thought about that uh, 3D printing promotional items. You know, like, and how much would that cost be compared to ordering and waiting? My goodness, that, that might be something you do. I knew, I, I know we did that with tickets. We were going to have, uh, when I worked for the soccer team, we were going to have our tickets done through, uh, you know, a paper company. We decided to do it on our printer. We had them done that day. So and that's, those are just tickets. So 3D printing, they're at the point where they can do bobbleheads. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, three, yeah, you could 3D print a bobblehead. Um, you could 3D print anything you really want. You know, they're 3D printing rockets. So, what? Wow. Uh, I, I need to. I need to look more on this three D printing. I'm a little bit behind the times. A rocket? Dang. Yeah, I mean, you could three D print whatever you want. Uh, commercial three D printers, you could do a lot of really cool stuff with. And you know, if you had, you know, l- let's say you're an independent team, you have a star player, and you want to do a bobblehead of him that year. You know, the yep. whole process was taking pictures, sending it out. It's a month long process that by the time you actually do it, he might not even be with the team anymore. Yeah. And it would kind of, you know, defeats the purpose. You know, if you, if you ha- are 3D printing your own stuff, you could get a 3D scan of him right then and there and start, you know, get the 3D model ready and it could be, start printing in a day or two. And you could have, you know, a, a classic giveaway item or something like that, you know. Like even like those ballpark models, oh you know, yeah, I can see those become three D printable uh, at the stadiums so if if teams wanted to do it. 
And, uh, you know, this is something that I'm sure a lot of people are not thinking of right now, but will be in the, in the near future. And that's one of the things I pride myself on in my marketing is that I always look five to 10 years down the line and uh, where to go. Cause you know, I'm a big proponent of VR as well. I think VR is going to be uh, something that uh, becomes a lot more prevalent in sports in the next uh, five, 10 years. All right. So VR in, in what way as uh as a promotional uh, idea for fans at the game or a way to watch baseball from home? A way to watch baseball from home, but a way to experience the game in, okay. in a much different way. Because you could put a, let's say for a baseball team, you could put a VR camera in the dugout and instead of sitting in the stands, they're sitting in the dugout with the players mm-hmm. and getting that experience such such a different way. And you could pipe in your, your standard broadcast and everything in there. Yeah. But there's so many different ways you, you could do it. Uh, NBA does a pretty good job with their VR broadcasts. Yeah. Uh, but if you ever watched their clips and everything, it's sort of, you don't get the full 360. It's more of a 180. And behind it, they have like stats or an image or, or something. And you could do the same thing with, with baseball. You know, MLB kind of dabbled with it, but they didn't do it in a good way. It wasn't really you know true vr was just like oh they had a broadcast and you could look around and see a stat there but there, there's so many cool things that you could do with vr that hasn't even been tapped and the first team that can actually put it together i think will be a, a standard bearer yeah it would, it would set the precedence i and i, I yeah I, I know what you mean uh i'm thinking when i watch the indy 500 because we usually get that blacked out here in indianapolis they don't air it during the race you have to listen to it on the radio or go to the track and one year it was sold out for the 100th anniversary and, you know, they had the cockpit uh, views and you got to hear, you know, a favorite driver, what they were saying. And it was, you know, it was something new to watch. And so, yeah, you know, watching the game from, uh, you know, the home dugout and you hear the ba- the ballpark banter and, you know, you hear the, the angst and things like that. Uh, you know, could be something that's a lot of fans would like to watch. So yeah, we'll be, I'll be on the lookout for that. You know, when I start hearing that, I'll say, Hey, that's what Robert was talking about. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it really catching on with uh, affiliated minor leagues because mm-hmm. it's so controlled. Yes. Indie teams, partner league teams, whatever college summer teams, I think will have the best, uh, best opportunities yeah. if they, if they wanted to actually do it. And there's so many different ways you you can do it. And uh, I think, the team that actually does it first will be the ones that set, sets the precedent. Set it's the, the same thing with the 3D printing. Like, you could get 3D printers for about 250, 250 bucks now. That's and, it. Wow. You know, you get 10, 15 of them. You know, one time you're paying for that one time 3D printer, and then it's just the filament. And filament is only about you know, twelve, fifteen dollars a roll. Mm-hmm. And you start 3D printing your stuff. Wow. You know, I may want to get a 3D printer. I remember regular printers back in 1995, 96 were about 300 bucks. And then one day they just went boom down to a hundred. So uh, that could be the case for a 3D printer. Oh yeah. You know, there's so much <laughs> stuff out there. Yeah. I re- you know, printers nowadays aren't even that cheap, aren't cheap anymore, you know, cause so many few people actually use an actual printer now yeah. that they've gone back up in price. Oh, wow. And yeah, I, I have one sitting up in my room. Uh, you know, it's out of ink. But, you know, it probably I just need to get some ink. 
yeah, who wow, whoever thought printers would go back up in price? You know, that's uh, that's fascinating. But yeah, this that whole three D printing is, uh, you know, I, I may have to uh, do some research, maybe write an article for Stadium Journey on that because I'm sure there's probably some teams doing that or at least tinkering with it. Oh, well, I'm sure there's there some has teams to be thinking about it, especially maybe at the the major sport level where they're they could think easily have the money to do that upfront scale that they'll need but uh it would be really interesting to see what happens uh, in that regards because i think it is it is the future and teams that 3d print their own promotional items will be able to do a lot more cool things a lot more creative things and a lot quicker you know it's one of the things i've always been um a fan of is if you can pivot quickly and when you have to deal with all these supply chains you can't pivot that that quickly and uh you know, you know, the the biggest example I give is also one of the reasons why I'm I'm a not a proponent of sublimated regular game jerseys for specialty nights. Yeah, go sublimation for your regular everyday game jerseys. It should always be uh, sewn on, and it should always be um, tackle twill and everything. Mm-hmm. And those jerseys should also be on sale in your team store. Same exact jersey, no changes. Not a cheaper made version, the same exact. So let's say a pl- uh, you lose a jersey, a player, a jersey gets destroyed. You could just pull it off the team shop and put the number on it right there. Because a lot of these places do have, you know, the press on thing where you could just press on the number yes. or name or whatever you need. And let's say you have a star player. Again, a star player, you're, you're an indie team or a minor league team. You have a star player and you want to put his jersey or their jersey up for sale in team shop instead of waiting months and months and months to, for it to go through the whole supply chain process and order it because you have to get it sublimated. You can only do it there. You can't do it at your place. You could do it day of Ooh. and have that op- that thing right then and there. Oh, man. And, yeah. How uh, great would that be? And that's, you know, that's a benefit of doing it that way. And, you know, the five dollar difference in cost for twill over sublimation results in a much better product in the end and also opportunity to do much better things yeah and, and you're right the pro you know when i get a jersey i uh, i remember i ordered a jersey from the niagara power they uh they're in the their summer collegiate team and they were just getting rid of these jerseys 25 bucks but it was a good quality jersey it it wasn't stitched on. It was iron on, but it looked nice. And I was like, okay, this is fine for 25 bucks. But, you know, yeah, you do want a jersey that looks professional. Professional. You know, you want to be proud of that jersey. Now, you don't want to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but you want to look at that jersey and say, wow, that's nice. Look at the stitching. Look at the embroidering. Look at the colors. Look look at the design. You know, when you, when you see a low-graded piece of merchandise it, it's obvious and and i see that with uh some of the baseball caps sometimes oh look at this cap it doesn't fit my head or the stitch and i can barely see the logo or this looks like it's from cheap material you know when you put a hat on your head you you can feel you can feel how great it is so yeah don't skip out on that i agree with that 100 yeah and, and one of the great things is like with tackle twill yeah it's a little bit more expensive than sublimation sublimation is probably the cheapest one right cheapest way of doing it right now but with tackle twill you can make up for it in scale 
because instead of just ordering the tackle twill jerseys for your on field, you get those same exact jerseys and you're selling in your team shop. You make it up bulk and you can make a, a, yeah. a lower price. You know, yeah, bulk so- buying drops the price regardless. So instead of getting 50 jerseys, you're getting, you know, 200. And yeah, that's the lower price there for you. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, they'll last longer. Uh, people will see the difference. I hope, you know, but I mean, also, it, I don't know how big you are in like the game used jersey market, but mm-hmm. game used jerseys, you know, if they're sublimated, do not go for as much money as. No. Tackle oh, twelve, yeah, and there's a huge difference in the prices. Like you said, you know, twenty five, fifty bucks. Yeah, because the collectors want that twelve. They want that professional look and feel. So that's the other thing. When you go to sell your jerseys after four or five years, you uh, you, you can make more better... money with with twelve. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so you can l- probably make your money back. Yeah, a little bit of an investment at first, but nothing insane. You know, where you're like, oh my goodness, we're breaking the bank by going with Twill. So yeah, these are these are these little conversations you don't think about sometimes. <laughs> that yeah, and I see a lot of teams they're they're going to the sublimation just mm-hmm. because it's you know five dollars less per jersey yeah. up front. But when they go to sell it, they're getting twenty five dollars instead yeah. of a hundred dollars. Yeah. Know? No, it's yeah, you have to think that way. I mean, I'm sure of the Savannah bananas, I don't know what they're selling jerseys, but I'm sure they're they're not uh, sublimation. I could be wrong. I'm just saying it off the top of my head, but you know, um, uh, but I don't. You know, who knows? Who knows? I, you know, would have to research and see what teams are doing twill and, and sublimation. It's uh, you know, like the Stanley Ferry Hawks. I looked at their jerseys. They look very nice from the screen, but yeah, I don't know what they look like if I bought one. They were all sublimated. They're all sublimated. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well. Maybe, maybe, maybe more and more teams are doing that. You know, maybe that's something oh, yeah. that it's, it's you a lot have more popular now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you need to, you know, consult these clubs and say, Hey, listen, you're paying, you know, I guarantee you're going to make more money, but they would have to, they would have to pay you for that. Correct. Oh yeah. Of yeah. course. Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, well, you know, one thing we talked about last time with marketing, something that is not new, uh, you said the best way to reach your community and your audience is by direct mail. And you I still, I'm sorry. Oh, so you, the last time we had a conversation, you were talking about uh, a way to market your club in your community. Something that kind of surprised me. Now we're talking about 3d printing. We're talking about, you know, thinking five, five years ahead. You mentioned that direct mail is still one of the best ways, the number one way to get your community aware of your product. Yeah, you know, any, you know, the last decade plus, we've had a lot of big shifts towards digital. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of trying to optimize to make sure you get the greatest bang for your buck and better reach. You know, that's why stuff like billboards and and stuff like that is not really as popular as it was. It's still a good amount of money. But it's not really where it was because you can't really say this guaranteed me a reach of X amount of people. It's all guesses. You know, there's a good uh, good quote by uh, Dale Ogilvy. You know, 50% of my ad spend is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. Mm. And that's true in a lot of things. And when it comes to advertising and marketing, 
So when if you want, you're a new team or existing team, and you want to guarantee that your brand is going to be seen by every member of your community, send out a direct mailer. Because you know what? They'll pick it up. They'll see it. It's You'll probably spend 50, 60 cents most at max per mailer. So if you're looking at, like, I'll use Stan Island as an example. You have yeah. 168,000 individual households. And that's just not houses. That's individual households. You know, people who live in apartments yeah. and everything. You're, you want to guarantee the ability to reach every single one of them. Send out a direct mailer. You're looking at about $85,000 for that piece. And you're guaranteed they will see it in some form or fashion. The old fashioned way. Yeah. Yeah. And then you add a coupon in there or is it just, you know, Hey, come to our ballpark who we are promotional dates. I mean, yeah, you can do a coupon. You can do, uh, you know, showcase fireworks, showcase promotional yeah. dates, stuff like that. It is the best way to, make sure you reach your audience. And this is something that uh, a lot of places I realized that those direct mailers give the best ROI of anything right now. Mm. And digital has its place. You know, if you're not advertising on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places, you are behind the times and you need to get on that. But direct mail is still one of the best ways to get that ROI. Yeah. And, you know, I know that last time we had this, uh, this conversation i said yeah just you know get a group of people to go out door to door or to hit you know local community events such as farmer markets or you know schools and what, what was that called what kind of team was that called a street team street team to get yeah, a street, street team teams are i'm a big fan of street teams as well because if you get out there and not only get people you know wearing your brand out there engaging with the community in parks in festivals at events mm -hmm. at schools everywhere you could get them in front of people and be and get that first point of contact to be something positive is a benefit you always want that first point of contact to be positive and you want to build that word of mouth mm -hmm. yeah just and return you know return investors uh, uh return engagement you know if somebody comes to your ballpark you want them to say man i had a great time you know, the drinks were cheap. The tickets were cheap. I bought some merchandise. They had fireworks. My kid had fun. You know, my kid wants to go back. You know, it's it's so many things you can do. And, and I go to a lot of ballparks. And sometimes I see, like, I was in Austin this year for the Austin Weirdos game. And I'm like, who the hell wants to come back to this ballpark to see a game? I mean, it's like a dirge there. You know, the only <laughs> positive thing was uh, they had these great baseball caps that I think they, they should market to every, you know, tourist attraction, tourist store to say, hey, can you sell these hats? We'll, we'll give you a cut because these things represent Austin in such a positive way. And uh, we'll, we'll show a, a picture of it right here. All right. There it is. That, that's if we go on YouTube. We may we may not. So it's uh, yeah, you want to make coming to the ballpark fun, you know, and you don't have to have a 3,000, 5,000 seat stadium. You can have a 500 seat summer collegiate team in the Great Lakes League where you go there and you see craft beer or beer garden. You see merchandise for the kids. You see some play areas. And then if you want to watch the game, you sit down, watch the game, keep score, have some food, 
have some parking, you know, just make the place a buzz, you know, community, the place to be on a Thursday night, the place to yeah, be on a Tuesday you, night. You really want to minimize uh, what we call pain points. Pain points are points in marketing where you turn away potential customers because of some sort of negative impact on it. You know, this could be, you know, they just didn't have a good time at your stadium. This could be that they heard something negative about the stadium. This could be anything, really. This could be ticket prices. This could be concession times. This could be whatever. Ooh, but you want to get, you want to minimize those pain points as much as possible. And getting yeah. direct access and, and direct, you know, in front of people is the best way to do it. Constantly doing surveys. And we could go into surveys at another time, but it's really yeah. more art and science put together than a lot of people realize, um, you know, minimizing those pain points, because when you look at the funnel, you know, we, we've all heard in the past, the sales funnel, you know, but you know what, in 2022, it's not the sales funnel anymore. It's the marketing funnel. It's the communications funnel, because you know what people see through the BS of sales, sales, people, sales, that sales, direct sales, has such a negative connotation right now. And you need to break through that BS. So you need to actually communicate and educate. So that's why it's moved on from the sales funnel to the marketing funnel, because sales is really just like the last two levels of that funnel or the last level of that funnel, depending on how many levels you have in there. And each you know separation of those levels is a pain point that you lose approximately 50% of your potential audience nice. so the le the more you uh, minimize those pain points the less audience you lose and the more people you can convert but there's also the other side of the funnel where after they purchase you want them to become regulars you want them to become advocates you want them to really you know represent your brand in a positive way out in the community and uh yeah it, t it takes a lot of work, you know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, you have to have a staff, you know, I know the Savannah bananas, they decided to go independent and leave the coastal plain league and play banana ball because they were listening to their audience. People were coming in saying, Hey, this isn't banana ball. This is just regular baseball. And that's because they're in the coastal plain league. And they said, Hey, let's just go rogue. Let's just tour the country, have independent games all because they're listening to their audience, which, uh, you know, it could be a positive, it could be a negative, but who knows? <laughs> we're we're just at the beginning of that. Uh, but yeah, good good ideas, you know. And I don't know how many how many individuals who say, "Hey, I'm going to have a baseball team. I'm going to open the door, and people are going to come in." And I don't know who's thinking about these marketing funnels or loyalty and desire and interest and awareness and all that. Uh, but yeah, these are, these are things I guess, you know, I, you would advise people to think about before going in, before you start wasting all your money and then the team folds shop and maybe another team comes in, they don't do well. And then all of a sudden the market goes sour and they don't want to see any baseball team. So, yeah. I mean, a, it bad, a bad experience can really sink a market for years and yeah. we've seen that before and uh, it could, it could take a lot take a lot of money and a lot of effort and a lot of work to really fix, fix it. Yeah. And uh, if you're, you're looking to, you know, start get a baseball team or a sports team in general, just do your market research ahead of time and get as much people on your side at the start and start that education and communication process early. 
because communications is your most important thing in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. And who cares how great your logo is or how funny the name sounds? You, you really have to do the the hard work, and you know you cannot do you cannot do things on a shoestring budget. And I've been on teams where I've seen that happen, and those teams aren't here anymore. <laughs> they're yeah. they're lost in history, and rightfully so because they had terrible ownership. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly, yeah, cheap, that's- like it. Like I always say, like with these names and crazy logos and everything, the cheap pop only works for so long. Mm-hmm. They're short term. If you want long term s- sustainable, you need pricing, community, communications, and communications is extremely important in there. I would say the two most important things in, out of those three is community and communications. But communications is how you communicate and how you get your your brand out there. And that includes marketing, advertising, and everything under the communications banner. You know, modern day communications person is not just doing game updates on Twitter. Modern day communications person is actively examining and trying to reach the audiences in the best way possible. And is that are there a lot of people that can pick pick up that easily, or is it something hard to do, or is it easier than they than they think? You know, when it comes down to it. It, it's all with the right mentorship. Okay. One of your senior positions will always be a communications person that has the experience. Yeah. And, you know, maybe these are things being taught at the colleges right now. We don't know. I hope. Because this is not something they talked about when I was in college. It was about game day revenue and advertisements and, you know, selling tickets. You know, not everybody can sell a ticket, so. Ah, that's some good information there. And and believe in me, you and I can talk for another hour and a half probably, but we got uh it's football now. Are you a football fan? Giants, Jets? I am not. I do not watch football. Oh wow. I don't really have much time for sports anymore. No more. Wow, you know, with, that's a shame. With uh with everything. I, I used to watch I used to have season tickets to the Devils. I used to uh, you know go it's funny, in 2019, I went to about 120 baseball games. And and that's you know the amount of games I worked in 2019 to go to now zero this year. Wow, yeah. zero. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, man. Well, you'll be back one day. You, you got to treat yourself. Just say, hey, I'm going to check out the Ferry Hawks, go to a Met-Yankee game. And uh, well, I, I assume you're a Yankee fan, so yeah, I'm a I'm a Yankee fan. Check, but I'm more out. of a fan of my friends. I, I want to see these guys do well. So yeah, no, because you you've seen some of these guys from the minor leagues come up. So yeah, that's you get that whole different perspective as well. So is uh, Judge going to hit sixty two? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. And and you'll consider hopefully that the they real keep run. Yeah, that's God. I God, do the Yankees have their heads up their asses sometimes? Can you know where would the Yankees be without Judge right now? Nowhere. I, I and I don't know why teams continue to pitch to him. Like I remember the Mets pitched to him, two run shot. Tampa Bay, two run shot. It's like, come on. You gotta treat him like Bonds now. <laughs> you gotta walk him like two hundred times a year. It's uh, this guy's this this guy's unbelievable. But he bet on himself this year. And can you imagine if he goes to the Mets or Dodgers or Giants? If, if that's if that happens, 
Oh. Yeah, you know, this ownership for the Yankees is, is done. The fans will not forgive them. And you no. know what? They need to get off their asses and start valuing their players better. Yeah. No, I'm with how you. How many guys have they shipped out this year? They've traded away, are now making major league debuts. Um one of the one of the lefties they just traded, major league debut, shut out five innings, struck out like the first few few people he faced and had a crazy game for his first game and he was in double A. Yeah. No, it's 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 ama- it's it's weird to think that I mean I could see that maybe happening from time to time. Okay, we let this guy go away, but I mean look at Jordan Montgomery with the Cardinals. Like Yeah. Insane. And it's like every guy they traded away this year was within a couple of weeks in the majors. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's tough to play in New York, but I mean Montgomery was pitching in New York they, and they don't they, give their players a chance and yeah. they will never build sustainable growth a sustainable uh pipeline unless they start doing that yeah and i'm you know being a met fan i i know what you mean we traded away some guys and you know we had daniel murphy yeah well, let's let's not resign him goes on become a stud in in uh washington you know and then we thomas crow armstrong uh that was a trade last season for uh to the cubs who knows what he can become you know, I'm hearing good things about him in the pipeline as well. And of course, uh, Paul, you know, Seawald for the Mariners. He helped us out yesterday by saving the game against uh, the Braves. So I guess he did something good for the Mets. He was on a roster at one time. Travis Denard injured constantly. Now he becomes an all star with the Braves. Zach Wheeler didn't want to sign him too much money. Saw a young candidate for the Phillies. You know, it's like, Jesus, you know. The only the only guy that they let go, Robinson Cano, former Yankee, didn't really pan out. So, oh, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. You know, you got homegrown talent. These guys are going through the pipeline. You know exactly how these guys are because you know you run, you have that website, pinstriped, um, uh, pinstriped which, prospects, pinstriped prospects. Thank you. Which for what was it, forty dollars a year? You can sign up. Yeah, it's a. Uh... For forty dollars a year is the annual subscription, or five fifty a month, and uh, it goes to these guys covering the covering the system, which is not easy, not cheap, and uh, a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work to give you some like in depth information about a lot of these baby bombers. That what when you hear them, you know, if you follow Pinstripe Pro- uh, prospects and you know these guys once they hit the Bronx. And if they get traded, you're going to say, wait a minute, this is the guy I've been following for a year that's, you know, kicking butt in AAA or AA and, you know, has this, has like three pitches or this guy who's hitting lefties on a regular basis. Yeah, great website to follow. I'm not a Yankee fan, uh, so I'm a little bit biased. But uh, if you are a fan of the Yankees, and there's a lot of Yankee fans out there in the universe, you know, this for 40 bucks a, a year, uh, that, that's a steal. That's a steal to get some in-depth coverage. And especially if you live near one of these ballparks, uh, you can get, you know, you can get a little more information on the club. So uh, by the time they, they come up, you know who they are and you're excited and you can say, Hey, I knew about this guy two, three years ago. So yeah, check out Yank uh, pinstripe uh, $40 subscription, or you can, you can check it out for free, but, you know, if for 40 bucks, you get some uh, more information on the uh, on the club as well, including video, correct? Or any other great yeah. bonuses? Yeah, there's a 
live video on their YouTube channel. They do a lot of great video work nice. and uh, they get a lot of good exclusive interviews and stuff. So definitely check yeah. it out. Now, now, do all teams have something like this? Uh, based yeah, on... There's a few. Uh, not but all. Not all. But not all. But there's a few. You know, like I said, it gets pricey, you know, covering the minor leagues, you know, and to do it right, you have to go down to minor league spring training, instructs, et cetera. It can get very expensive, and I don't think there's a market there yet for all the teams. Okay. Um, yeah. And the Yankees give you no money. They don't say, hey, we'll give you no. a few thousand dollars. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. No. I save it for Judge. Yeah, if they pay him. Yeah, yeah. Hank's got to say, wait a minute, I got, I got to sign Aaron. Oh my goodness. Well, we'll, we'll find out in the off season what happens to Aaron Judge because you're right, he is having a historic year, and he, I mean, he bet on himself and he's winning. So, all right. Well, Robert, thank you for coming on once again. This time we did record the episode, and but I'll have you back on. We'll talk more baseball because there is so much to talk about with you. So. Uh, where can we find you and anything else you want to talk, uh, say before you leave? Uh, you can find me online. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, everything. It's just R Pimpsner, my, my name. Uh, I'm easy to get in touch with. I try to answer as much people as I can. Um, but yeah, I'm easy, easy to get a hold of. I have my own website, robertpimpsner.com, which is more like my portfolio mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So feel free to check that out. And, uh, yeah. And that is true. You do get back. I remember you and I were, you know, having communication and you're right. I like 10 minutes later, you, you contact me, which, which is nice. There's some people that, Hey, you want a free shirt. Cause you're our 1000 Twitter follower. And I have yet to see that shirt. So Robert does reply to you. So if you have any questions, <laughs> especially about the pizza rats, we, we didn't, I didn't want to mention them. I think that's been kind of a dead issue for many years. So. Yeah, they're yeah. currently in their lawsuit with the Yankees, too. So I don't yeah. know what's going on there. Yeah, that's true, too, which I did like that name. But it was like, OK, let's just let's talk about something else. So, all right. Well, Robert, thank you for coming on the show. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, thank you for checking me out on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter. Subscribing to my YouTube channel, Ballpark Hunter. Uh, checking out Stadium Journey. I have a review of Purdue Football. That's coming up pretty soon. Uh, we're transitioning from baseball to football. So uh, Purdue football was a fun game, even though they spanked my alma mater, Indiana State, 56 nothing. If you bet on that spread, which I think was 35 points, you won a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad when you see your alma mater getting destroyed, not only by Division One but by Division Two teams as well. So thank you once again for listening. This is Mark, the Ballpark Hunter. And uh, we will see you next time. Take care.